I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to begin. We're going to end up in Acts, actually Luke, but uh, Luke, the gospel according to Luke. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. <laughs> now, in way of review, we have actually been asking this question, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And we have been discovering a number of truths. In the beginning, that where we started was that we realized that Luke's intention, his intention in the book of Acts is actually spelled out for us very clearly in chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, and you will receive power when, when the Spirit is poured out upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm not saying this is the only intention or only theme that we discover in the book of Acts, but this would be the major, the most significant and important theme. And so what Luke does is he, he actually lays out for us how God, through the apostles and through others like Stephen and Philip, began to spread this good news by the empowerment of the Spirit. So what we did is we have looked at five different occasions in which people, individuals, like Paul, or groups like the Samaritans, Cornelius' household, received the Spirit and were empowered by the Spirit. So all I'm going to do right now to sum up is I'm going to come to a general conclusion. And this is the best that we can do because people, the, the truth is, for about over 100 years, the church has been looking at this and wrestling with it since the Pentecostal movement. And, and, and I would venture to say actually much more, but it has really come to the forefront with the Pentecostal movement. The, <coughs> the second wave of the Spirit, as they would call it, through the charismatic movement, 60s, 70s, 80s, and the denominations, and now the third wave is what they call, which basically is a believing in the gifts of the Spirit, but they disagree with what I'm laying out here, and this is where I'm walking us through it so that we can recognize certain things. But we cannot come to a formula. We cannot say, this is how God does it and always does it. That's not the conclusion that Luke intends us to come to. So let me just very succinctly put it this way. The conclusion that he's wanting us to come to when we're looking at these experiences is that everyone's experience in being baptized with the Holy Spirit is going to be different than the next. Just as your conversion is different, just as your testimony is different than the person next to you, my wife's testimony is very different from mine. God had to use a car accident in which her closest friend was killed. And in that hospital where she lay, Christ brought her to him. In the same way, we discover certain things. So let me walk you through that. When it comes to being baptized or receiving the Spirit, we come to this conclusion. Prayer is generally asked for, but not always. And we discovered that Cornelius' household, and in Acts 19, there was no prayer. Now, it's possible that Paul, when he laid his hands on the Ephesians, that he did pray, but Luke doesn't tell us that. He just says he laid his hands on them and they received the Spirit. But we can, we can come to a general conclusion that says, generally, we pray for the Spirit, and we're actually going to be looking at that in Luke 11 today later, but not always. No sooner did Cornelius' household believe, but the Spirit of God fell on them and, and, and Peter didn't even have any altar call. 
The Spirit of God interrupted his sermon, fell on them because each of them came to a place of faith and changed them. So we pray for the Spirit, but God sometimes pours out his Spirit without prayer. Generally speaking, we lay hands on people to receive the Spirit. Hebrews 1, excuse me, Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3, gives us instructions about, you know, the, the basic elements, the basic teachings of Christ. And one of those six is laying hands on people. And I'm suggesting to you, because of the nature of those teachings, it's laying hands on people to receive the Spirit. So generally speaking, we lay hands on people to receive the Spirit, but not always. So generally speaking, we pray. Though not always. Generally speaking, we lay hands on people to receive the Spirit, but not always. Didn't happen with Cornelius' house. You see, God is not operating in a formula here. Sometimes they received the Spirit. Um, sometimes they were water baptized before they received the Spirit. Sometimes they were water baptized after they received the Spirit. Like Paul, Ananias laid his hands on him, he received the Spirit, and then later he was baptized in water. Generally speaking, there is a delay so that the baptism in the Holy Spirit does not always happen at conversion. As a matter of fact, we discovered of the five different Spirit reception events, only on one occasion did it coincide with conversion. Only one time of the five. So we can generally say that the baptism of the Spirit occurs after conversion, but not always. We can say that generally speaking, there is a manifestation or evidence of the Spirit when people were baptized in, in the Spirit, but not always, okay? Um, and there should be a check mark here, by the way. Just, just imagine in your mind a little check mark on this, Acts 19. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. I think I got carried away at the end of the sermon and forgot to put a check mark there. All right, but for Paul, Luke doesn't tell us that he spoke in tongues. And we know by 1 Corinthians 14 that he did have the gift of tongues, but Luke doesn't tell us that he received it when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. So can you understand then that there is, there is no formula, there is no set pattern in which the Holy Spirit is received? Now, here is the question that I want to ask today. Is it possible Maybe you have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. However, is it possible to be spiritually drained and need to be refilled with the Spirit yet again? I want to introduce you to a young man. Young man meaning he's younger than me. Young man by the name of Timothy, probably about 35 here. We don't know for sure, but about 35 and he is functioning apostolically. He has been entrusted with an entire city of Ephesus, setting in elders, encouraging them. He is not just a missionary who is preaching, but he is functioning apostolically and putting things in the churches, plural, in order, the local churches. Here's a guy who functions, who's functioning apostolically, and yet listen to what Paul challenges him to do in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. Are you with me? He says, for this reason, because of his faith that was seen in his life, passed on to him, encouraged by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, 
of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. Now, I would suggest to you that this gift that's being mentioned here is not the gift of the Spirit that's received when a person's baptized in the Spirit, but rather this is the gift, a spiritual gift, that Timothy at some point has received. Now, I'm saying this because generally the Greek word dorea is used when referring to the gift of the Spirit, and this isn't that word. This is a word you're probably familiar with, charisma, or the plural charismata. So it's a spiritual gift. What we do discover, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we actually read of the occasion in which probably this particular gift was imparted to Timothy. It says this. He's telling him in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect your gift, your spiritual gift, your charisma, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. I would suggest that one of those elders was Paul, laid his hands on them, May have been Paul who actually gave the prophetic word. We don't know for sure. But when that prophetic word came out, it had to do probably with some spiritual gift. I personally believe that it was the gift of evangelism or apostolic ministry. And as that prophetic word came out, the Spirit of God empowered or gifted Timothy with this. Paul is telling Timothy, and 1 Timothy was written, we're not exactly sure, 63 to 65 AD, 2 Timothy about a year or two, maybe three, probably not even that long afterwards. Paul in 2 Timothy, though, is within a year of him dying. He's he's in the dungeon of Rome, not under house arrest as as several years earlier. He is now in a dungeon. But something apparently in the first letter to Timothy, he's already been released from house arrest, traveling about, and he has left Timothy in Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, something's going on here. Don't neglect your gift. Walk in that anointing that God has given you. Church, listen to what I'm saying now to you. There is an anointing, a gifting, a spiritual gifting a charisma that God has anointed and given to you, then I'm going to say, as Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect that gift. Maybe a year, two years later, though, Timothy now finds himself in a little bit more of a serious situation. It appears, by what I read at the very end there, so do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ and of me, because Paul's in prison. And it's pretty serious when you read the last chapter of this letter, 2 Timothy. Paul is more than likely going to be leaving this world, and his day has come. He's fought the fight. He's run the race. But there's something going on in Timothy, and that something appears to be a fear. Now, when we say that, when he says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, that word is not the typical word for fear, phobos or phobia. You're familiar with phobias, fears, um, and it, but this, this word is a different word. It's the Greek word delia, which means cowardice. 
You're afraid of something. But not in, sometimes phobos is used for the fear of the Lord. That's positive. That's not what he's talking about. This is a negative thing. Timothy, in your life, there's a fear that's been growing. I challenge you not to neglect your gift. Now I am telling you to fan it into flame because not only have you been neglecting it, but there is a fear that is now displacing your ability to walk in it. This word, to fan into flame, is actually a combination of three words, um, and, and it's the word, like our word, re, to redo something means to do it again. It's another word for life and another word for fire. So in essence, literally translated, this is give life to the fire again. So a very common way to express that is fan the fire into flame again, rekindle or reignite the fire. Can I ask you, in your life right now, maybe over the last couple of weeks, you know that God has empowered you. Maybe he's even given you a gift and you've not been operating in that gift. That's, that's happened with me before. I'll tell you a story about it later, but some of us, there are certain reasons in which the enemy has been undermining our ability to walk in that gift that God has given to us. Why? I mean, this is, this is an apostle for Timothy. An apostle, it was fear. Cowardice. He was shrinking back. And that shrinking, whatever, it may have been impending death. If I go and visit Paul, there's a really good chance that they're going to see that I'm a, an associate of Paul's. I'm visiting him. Maybe they will arrest me. Maybe they will throw me into prison. It's very possible that Timothy received this letter, said, you know what? I am not going to be ashamed. I will evangelize. I will do everything I can. And as the gift of God is being stirred up in him, it's very possible that when he went to visit Paul, he did get thrown into prison because at the end of Hebrews, which was written just before 70 AD, we discover that the author of Hebrews tells us Timothy has just been released from prison. He followed through with Paul's challenge not to be afraid. He ended up in prison. It would seem this way. But can I suggest to you, Timothy, God's hand was upon Timothy. God eventually brought him out, used him mightily. My question then for you is, does God need to reignite that fire, that gifting that is in you today? Let's turn over to Acts chapter 4. We see a somewhat similar situation, a little bit different. In this situation in Acts 4, what we discover, here we go. Does that make you guys feel better? It makes me feel, there we go. It's complete. The chart is done. Woo, hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you, Donald. Oh, I feel I can preach now. <laughs> but in Acts chapter 4, we have these, the, the, the disciples, the apostles specifically, John and Peter, and you remember, they, P Peter reaches over, takes a, a lame man's hand, lifts him up, and the man is healed. He's leaping about, and Peter, in chapter 3, begins to preach the gospel. In chapter 4, he and John end up in prison, or, or 
before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin challenged them and then let them go. Don't preach in this name anymore. Don't do it anymore. Well, what do they do? If they preach in Jesus' name, there's a really good chance that they could be punished. You know what that punishment can look like? Roman torture, 39 lashes, ripping the flesh, flogging. Is this really what we want, guys? And they're weighing the cost here. They come back and they pray. And I'm not going to get into their prayer, but I am going to share these verses with you, actually starting with verse 29. And as they pray, this is what they say, now, Lord, consider their threats. When someone threatens you, what's the temptation, the emotional temptation on your part? It is to fear, is it not? These men are facing what we just saw in Timothy. Do we step back? This is the question. God, we don't want to. In view of their threats, he, they, they, they continue to pray. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Oh, God, we do not want to shrink back. They go, they go on, stretch out your hand. Now, we did a study in that word, the hand of God. Now, it represents the power of God. We saw it in Exodus, remember, with the 10 plagues. The hand of God. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And this is what happens. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, they were just simply praying, God, do miracles in our midst and, 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 and help us speak boldly. What does God do? He fills them with his spirit because that's the answer that they really needed to be filled, that is, refilled with the spirit so that they spoke the word of God boldly. And as you read more, they, there were more miracles, more miracles, more miracles. Here are people, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does God do? He fills them again. I want to just lay out a few possibilities for us. Why might you, me, this morning need to be refilled? We've already seen one. It's fear. You see, fear robs us of faith. We saw Timothy, we saw these disciples, possibility of fear. The answer is to be refilled with the Spirit because fear displaces and robs us of faith. Think about the children of of Israel as they're wandering through the wilderness. They're filled with fear. Did you... there's no food, there's no water. Did you bring us out here, Moses, to, to die in the desert? Did God do these amazing miracles to bring us this far to, to, to die? Really? And they begin to grumble. Their hearts are filled with fear. We're going to die. And you see this repeatedly. Remember right before the God parted the waters of the Red Sea? They were filled with fear that we're going to die over and over and over. You know what? I so empathize with them 
So many times God has taught me a lesson and I come back and I'm facing a, a, a struggle, a problem, and it is so similar to the ones that I faced before. And God came through for me. And what happens? Fear. God, what are we, how are we going to meet my financial needs? What's going to happen to your God? God, did you bring me this far to just leave me in the desert? And if you're in that place, I'm going to tell you what, if you allow that fear to continue on, just like Timothy, the Spirit of God is going to speak to you, and maybe he's doing that right now. Fan that into flame. And if you cry out to him today, just like the disciples, he's going to fill you again with his Spirit. And he will reignite that gifting and re-empower you for his purposes. Maybe, maybe it's not fear this morning. Maybe it's sin, a struggle with sin. Sin robs us of desire. Fear robs us of faith. Sin robs us of desire. It displaces. Here we are, we're, we're longing and desiring to remember the lost son, to fill himself with the, the food of the pigs. When we're leaning on sin, when we are delving into sin, we're eating pig swill. And he said he had to sit down, the lost son, he had to sit down and come to his senses. Sometimes bitterness can creep into our life without us even reeling it. Inch by inch, slowly bitterness rises up. We have chosen not to forgive justification after justification. We haven't forgiven and bitterness starts rising up and it becomes like spiritual cholesterol. I'm getting old in my years, 58 now, and I've got to watch my cholesterol. So a number of different things that I can do that I, I probably need to do a better job with, but that cholesterol can begin to clog my veins, they say, and you know what? When that happens, you can get a heart attack. Yeah, you can die. It's pretty serious. But sin is the same way. You allow bitterness into your life, it's going to clog the flow of the Spirit in you. You allow pride because God opposes the proud but gives grace. I mean, that's the essence of you walking in the Spirit, God's grace. You walk in pride, God's going to cut that off. So, I mean, sin can be an issue. It can rob us of our desire. Distraction. You've heard me say this before. Sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. Some of you may be in a season right now in which you are having to work a whole lot more than you normally have been. There have been seasons like that in my life, burning candles at both ends, and it was, it, it's hard. It's hard. But what that can do is, I mean, I'm thinking, you know what, I got to provide for my family, and I'm working 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and it, it can become a distraction. The, the good that I'm doing can pull my devotion and my heart from the Lord. Quiet times get smaller and smaller. Maybe you start missing a few, maybe a lot. Your devotion to the Lord begins to dwindle. But in the name of what's right and what's good, and I'm going to suggest if you're distracted this morning, even by the good, listen as, I, as we turn in just a minute to Luke 11, and, and we're going to find out some answers here. But maybe you're distracted. Maybe something that's even good is pulling you. Maybe it's not good. Maybe you've been getting into more and more video games, TV, whatever it is, and, and it's, not, it's not bad, it's not good, it's just neutral, but it is seriously distracting you. 
Those distractions rob us of devotion. They rob us of focus. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That has been one of the greatest challenges for me that God has constantly called me back to no matter how busy I might get. Mike, that time with me, that is, that is God's time. I cannot rob God of that. If I rob God of that, I'm really robbing me. I, I, I need that time with God. I need it. I am not strong enough to go through this life without it. But we can get distracted, and our focus can get pulled away, pulled away from the Lord. We can believe lies. There's many more that we could get into. Believing lies, coming to this conclusion, well, I can't. I'm unworthy. God's not for me. Maybe we feel rejected. Maybe we start complaining. But believing lies obviously robs us of the truth. If we're going to believe lies and stand on the lies, I, God's not going to use me. Look at this. Look at that. How I've, I've failed so many times. We, we need to stand on the truth of who God is because I'm not standing in my own strength. I need to stand on the truth which says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm going to challenge you. If you're standing on lies this morning, then you're going to feel as if that fire within you is turned down to a pilot light and the devil's getting ready to try and blow that out. Don't neglect the gift. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Call upon the Lord as they did in, in Acts 4. And God, please, in view of what's going on here, I need you to step into my life. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to spend the rest of our time there in Luke 11. <coughs> and in Luke 11, I, I read the verse to you some weeks ago with regard to praying for the Spirit. And right there in verse 13, it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to good gifts, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This section right here, the, the, the entire chapter up to this point has been about one thing prayer. They ask Jesus, Jesus, his disciples, teach us how to pray. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He walks them through that. Some key elements significant for prayer. Then he shares a parable with them. I want to read that parable to you. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because I have a friend of mine on a journey, excuse me, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Can you imagine a friend, and apparently there was no phone call or text message whatsoever, and he pops in and it's 10, 11 o'clock at night, and uh, this is completely unexpected. It's probably a relative, not a, no, anyway, it's a friend, and he, he pops over and he needs three loaves of bread, so I don't have anything. So he goes to another friend of his at midnight, and the story unfolds. Then the one inside answers, 
don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. That's how they would sleep. You know, one general bedroom everyone sleeps in. All the kids were cuddled up nice and warm. And dude, you want me to get out of the, you know how cold it is out there? I'm like snuggled down for a long winter's nap, okay? And you're wanting me to get up. The door's already locked. My children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give as much as he needs. So Jesus goes on and he says this, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, thanks for the compliment, Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the first thing I want us to see here is this word, ask, that, we, that I just read to you. If you, if you ask the, your Father in heaven for the Spirit of God, rather, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That word, ask, is in the present tense. It means it's continuous action. So let me say it this way. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and keep on asking him. But who is it that's even asking for the Holy Spirit? You remember a couple of weeks ago when we went through this? It's not an unbeliever. This is a child of God. Because the analogies that Jesus had just given is, if a son asks his father for a fish, is the father going to give him a snake? Of course he's not. If a son that is the child of the father, asks his father for an egg. Is he going to give him a scorpion? The answer is, of course not. So how much more will your heavenly father give you, that is, as a child of God, his Holy Spirit, if you ask him and keep on asking him? So what we're looking at here is we are looking at this kind of asking and keep asking. Now, let me just assure you that when you are converted, you need to just call upon the name of the Lord with sincere faith. And every single time, God will rescue any sinner. God will pull them out of their sin, wash them clean, and totally forgive them of their sin. And they now become his treasure possession, a child of God. But here... We're, we're, th th this is not conversion. How many of you have ever prayed for healing many, many times before God gave it? How many of you prayed for a situation, a financial situation, and you didn't just pray once, you ended up praying many, many times, and God then came through? That type of persevering prayer, that type of asking again, now I'm going to suggest to you that for, for whatever reason, the type of 
prayer that God is looking for when he wants to refresh you and rebaptize, reimmerse you, refill you with his spirit, this type of prayer is a persistent prayer. And then we immediately get this impression from the very parable that Jesus gives. In your, in, in, if you have the NIV, that's what I read from. The reason why the man will get up in the middle of the night out of his cozy warm bed to meet this man's need and give him the three loaves of bread that his wife probably just baked that day and, be, and give it to him is not just simply because he's his friend, but because of the man who's knocking on his door, calling up to him at midnight, because of that man's, now your version probably says boldness. Some of yours may say persistence. The Greek word is actually a combination of the, of the two. The, the King James uses the word importunity. Does anybody have any clue what that word even means? We just don't use that word too much these days. Importunity, that, that's a really a, a very good word to translate this because importunity means bold persistence. And that's exactly what this Greek word means. Bold, oh my goodness, midnight, are you serious? Yep, that's right. Persistence. Are you serious? You're pulling me out of bed right now? Yes, I am. Please, come. Oh, come on. Can't we just wait till... No, I can't wait because this guy visited me at 11 o'clock at night and I, he's my friend and I need, to give, I need to set some food before him. Please get up. It's that kind of persistence. So bold persistence is the type of prayer that Jesus is challenging us with right now. Now, Matthew records Jesus saying, good gifts, not Holy Spirit. I'm going to suggest to you that regardless, the Holy Spirit is the best good gift ever, but any kind of good gift, God is looking for this bold, persistent prayer. Ask and keep asking, okay? Then he goes on, and after this parable, he says, ask, seek, and knock, now, I, I hope you can see, you're, you're supposed to ask and keep asking. You're supposed to knock and keep knocking. You're supposed to, excuse me, you're supposed to seek and keep seeking and then knock and keep knocking. And it's this, as we go from ask to seek to knock, you, you kind of get this sense of a, a progressive action, an earnestness, more and more. I'm not just asking. I'm now knocking on your door, dude. Come on, open up. Give me the three loaves, please. I'm just going to keep knocking until you get up. Come on, John, get up. Joseph, whatever your name is, get up. I'm going to keep knocking until you... Okay, thank you for opening the... Have you ever had someone do that to you? I, my, I grew up with a lot of brothers, yes. Happened to me all knocking on my door. Come on, I'm not going to stop knocking. Until, and so finally, pers bold persistence, the door's open. Thank you. And he actually gives them three loaves of bread, I'm assuming. So... That's, that, that's the heart. That's, that's what faith is. Faith is the very foundation of prayer. Prayer is the language of faith. Prayer is the language of faith. You cannot pray without faith. You just can't. And, and this, is, this is a specific type of faith now. This is a bold, persistent Faith, it's a little bit more than just the mustard seed. The disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. Did, what did Jesus say? He, he didn't say, okay, well, you need to study and meditate on the word more. You need to uh, do this more and do that. No, he says, all you need is a mustard seed of faith. That's it. 
That's, my, that's, that's, that's the treasure truth I want to give you today. You want me to increase your faith? All you need is a mustard seed. Jesus is now saying a little bit more than that. Bold, persistent faith. Bold, persistent faith. I want you to imagine with me. I'm, I'm now, I'm going to tell you my story of how I proposed to my wife. And as we walked into the restaurant, I, I, it was a dead giveaway because I had the box with the ring and I, I, you know, I'm looking in the mirror, I put it in my pocket and the thing's sticking out like this and it's like, that's not going to work. So I thought in the middle, you know, it's, it's pretty warm <clears throat> at the, uh, I, I proposed to her on March 31st. So it's like a hundred degrees down there in South Florida during the end of March. And I decided the best way for me to cover this box is I'm going to put it in my windbreaker. So I wear a windbreaker in the heat of the evening. And my wife is, or Meredith is wondering, thinking to herself, this is really weird. Mike, do you really need a windbreaker? Yeah, yeah. Because I thought real quickly, it might be chilly in the restaurant. How's that for quick thinking? I usually don't think that quickly. And I'm thinking, I put on my windbreaker. And, okay, so I take it off and I put it, because we're not in the restaurant yet. So I, I, I go to, we pull up to the restaurant and I leave the jacket in the car as the valet parker parks my car. So I go into the restaurant and I say, you know what, Meredith? I think I forgot my windbreaker in the car. So I go out and get my windbreaker. And I, I eventually, as I'm talking with her and trying to sweeten her up a little bit, and, and I kneel down, sweeten her up, she's already sweet. So I kneel down on one knee in front of everybody in the restaurant, and I can see them because her back is to a mirror, so she is watching everybody in the restaurant. All eyes turn to me, and I'm, I open it up, and I say, will you marry me? I, she then does her little giggle like this and says, yes. <laughs> and I see everybody in the restaurant, and you know, they're, they're smiling. A few of them are clapping. I want you to imagine if instead of saying yes, she broke my heart with these words. Um, you know, I, I guess, uh, uh, yes. Very slowly, yes. <laughs> Less than convincing. Now, I hope if that happened, I would respond this way. I would very graciously close the box, and I would say, are you sure? You seem to be hesitant. There seems to be quite a bit of doubt. Should we wait? But in all honesty, I would probably be very hurt, and I would slam it shut, and I would say, fine. <laughs> Can I suggest to you that that is how some of us pray? Um, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, why, ah, why not? Sure. And God is saying, that's a little less than convincing, Mike. Come on, I'm a bold, persistent, ask and keep asking. Press into me. 400 years, the Israelites were in, the, in, in Egypt, and it says this, it says, and then the cries of Israel reached heaven. And the very next chapter is the story of the burning bush, and God tells Moses, go, as my deliverer for my people. God answered their prayers. 
I think sometimes God is looking for this intensity of faith. Are you discouraged today? Do, do you find that walking in the power of the Spirit, even though at some point you re- you've received the Spirit and His empowerment today, you're feeling far less than empowered. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe what you wanted to accomplish in the kingdom of God, has you're not even close to it. And you're just thinking, ah, maybe I'm just not qualified. Maybe God, Maybe God just doesn't want to use me. See, those are lies. Press into him. Ask. Boldly ask. The second thing that I want us to see here, I think sometimes when we are asking, especially for the initial baptism in the Spirit, and as we went through this and we came to this evidence in which people actually spoke in tongues and prophesied, that may have scared some of you. Oh, my goodness. Do, do, I mean, do I like go unconscious and my mouth just starts opening and I start saying words that I don't even understand? I had a somewhat similar view of speaking in tongues. I remember the first night after I started reading Prison to Praise, hit chapter four, being filled with the Spirit, and I just thought, wow, I mean, this is what I, I want to walk. I want to be in a, I want to, I want that type of power and I want to be bold in my evangelism. Yes. I've been praying for two years that God would use me, and it's like hardly any opportunities to evangelize. I don't know if there's something wrong with me or if there's something wrong with you, God. Okay, something's wrong with me. Then I, what do I do? And so, God, I, I, I prayed that night, fill me with your spirit. And, and I, I, I expected that I would, I don't know, eyes rolling back in my head, I don't know, I would just suddenly go into a trance and start speaking in tongues. Well, that didn't happen. So the next night I finish the book, it's a short book, and I read very slowly, so I managed to finish it the next night, and I pray again for probably an hour or two, and I'm just saying, God, I, I want your spirit more than anything, and, and I just began to pray for the people that I knew at my school, and God, I, I, I will rescue them and use me. I, I want more of your spirit. God, baptize me. In your, fill me with your spirit, God, please. And I just remember going quiet and just really, in my mind, pressing into God, and words started coming to my mind, and, and and I thought, oh my goodness, I mean, I'm not losing control here. God's not suddenly taking over and I'm like a little robot. I mean, should I just speak these words? And so I just began to speak these words to the Lord in like a prayer. And God baptized me in his spirit. And it wasn't freaky. It wasn't weird. It was, it was not what I expected. But some of us, I think, we kind of have some expectations. And I think those expectations might scare us a bit. What does he say? When Jesus says, if, you're a, if a son asks his father for a, a fish, is he going to give him a snake? If you ask for the spirit and say, God, baptize me in your spirit, and, and, and Lord, would you even give me a prayer language? Would you empower me to prophesy your word and encourage others? Whatever, just fill me up with your spirit and let your gifts flow in my life. Is there a fear of that in you? Because I've read some books that are totally against being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That you know, that's always happens at conversions. No tongues for today. And... They say, you know what, if you do that, the devil might come in. And the language you start speaking, because there's people out there who preach, all tongues are of the devil. Maybe you're afraid, oh my goodness, you mean the devil's going to start speaking through me? I, I don't want that. 
Can I assure you that if you ask for his spirit, he is not going to give you a snake. He's not going to give you a scorpion. If you were to turn two chapters over to the left in, in chapter 10, he says, that I'm going to give you all authority over all the power of the enemy so that you will trample upon snakes and scorpions. Isn't that what you read in the text this morning? He's not going to give you a snake. He's not going to give you a scorpion. For Luke, these symbolize the embodiment of evil. Jesus, God himself, is not going to give you something evil. You're not going to get demonized, church, if you're praying for the Holy Spirit. But there can be that fear. I'm going to encourage you. That fear is not based on truth. I don't care what you have heard, what book you have read, what TV program you listen to. Jesus says asking for his spirit and asking again and asking again to be filled and refilled and refilled again is a good thing. And God will never disappoint you and he will never give you a snake or a scorpion. He will never give you something evil. He will always give you something so very good. And that very good thing here is the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember when a particular person, <laughs> not a part of this church, they wanted to be baptized in the Spirit. And so I prayed for them. As I was praying for them, I just stopped and I said, you know what? I just sense in my spirit that if, if you don't speak in tongues right now, that that's fine. And if the Lord's going to give you that gift, the Lord's just showing me on your way back to your home, as you're driving, put in a CD and worship the Lord. That's what the Lord's showing me right now. And I began to pray over this person, and we were done. <clears throat> they were very encouraged. They did not speak in tongues. And as we know here, that doesn't always happen. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So this person was driving back to their home the next day, and they just began worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> I got a call from them that evening saying, Mike, so here's what happened. As I was just worshiping to this particular song, I just started worshiping in a language. I, 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 had, I had no idea. I'd never spoken this language before. And it was really weird. I mean, it, does it happen like that? And I said, yes, but it happens a lot of other ways too. But the, he not only baptized you in the spirit, but he then gave you that gift of tongues. Church, this is not something for us to fear. Not something for us to fear at all. And then lastly, I think we need to ask with the right heart. It's easy not to. Simon the sorcerer, do you remember him back in chapter 8? He saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of hands. And what was in his heart? He wanted that, let me be able to lay hands on people and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And what was his heart? Peter tells us it was a heart of bitterness. It was a heart of pride. There was, he, 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 had, he was bitter because Philip had come into his territory and it says in that chapter that he had won the attention of the people to Jesus. And Simon felt robbed in his heart, Peter says, was filled with bitterness. And he wanted this power. He wanted people's attention. Because I'm going to tell you this, there was tremendous insecurities in his life. And he wanted this power to bolster his inadequacies, his, his sense of value. You guys remember the TV show Home Improvement with Tim Allen? 
All right. I want to tell you a, a little story here. Tim Allen is the epitome of macho insecurity that he always has to present this facade of who he's not, that he's, he's really a man's man, uh, and, he, and half the time he's trying to convince himself. So he always likes power tools. So he has this show called Tool Time, and he always is demonstrating this really awesome, powerful tool, rah, 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 like this, right? And he comes home after one of those shows, and he comes up, and Jill is scrubbing away at the dishes, and he's watching her as she puts them into the dishwasher, scrubs another dish, puts it in the dishwasher, and he says, help me understand this. So you wash the dishes to put them in the dishwasher that's supposed to wash your dishes. Why are we doing this two times? Because, Tim, that's what we have. To. How many of you do that? I do that, yeah, because I'm tired of pulling dishes out of my dishwasher, and there's still you know, peanut butter. In the cup, that's what my kids love. Don't ask me why, that's what they do. And, and you know, it doesn't wash, I gotta wash that out. And the food stuck to the plate, ah, we gotta wash this one again. And so, yeah, I do it twice. So Tim says, okay, fine. Now she says, Tim, I gotta go out, but don't touch my dishwasher. She could see it in his eyes. And off she goes, and Tim has this brilliant idea. And so he's working away on the dishwasher, and she comes home, and he says, I have a surprise for you. And she looks at him and says, you didn't touch my dishwasher, did you? And he says, but watch this. And he, he, he says, if, so that you don't have to wash dishes twice, I made the dishwasher so that it has more power, all right? He turns it on, and it seems to be working fine, and all of a sudden, it like ramps up and it starts throwing dishes out of the dishwasher. This thing's out of control. Dive, and they get out of the way as dishes are flying everywhere. More power. And I want to challenge you, church, if you're going to ask for more power, you're not going to do it out of inadequacy in your own heart. You know what? I've got inadequacies. All of us do. But I don't want the power of the Spirit so that somehow that's going to make me look better. That's not why we do this. And so we ask with the right heart, with the right attitude. And as we, we look at Tim Taylor's life, more power, wrong heart, wrong attitude, but when you look at the lives of these men and women that we read in Scripture, I imagine Timothy heard what Paul said, and he said, you know what? Paul is right. I need to fan this into flame. Now, just like the disciples, they asked for miracles and great boldness. What did God give them? The Spirit. He filled them with the Spirit. Then they spoke boldly and did miracles. So we're just going to ask for the Spirit today. Some of you, you've never been baptized with the Spirit. Can I encourage you? There is nothing to fear. We're going to close in prayer right now. I would love to be able to pray for you. Some of us other leaders, we would love to be able to pray for you if you've never been baptized in the Spirit. But if you are at a place, maybe you're distracted, maybe some sin issues making you feel so unworthy, pulling your heart's devotion away from Christ. Maybe you are anything and it is pulling you away. And today, as you are listening, you are saying, Pastor Mike, you know what? That's me. That's me. I, I feel like I, I, I'm sitting on the shelf here in life and I'm letting life go by. And, and, and maybe you find that all you're doing is complaining to the Lord. 
all you're doing is you, you feel like your faith that was once so strong being sucked out of you. The life of God in you being sucked out of you and you're saying, you know what, enough of this. And maybe God needs to reignite this morning in your heart that spirit, that light, that fire that once burned so brightly. Do you want him this morning, church? Are you longing for him? I'm going to encourage you, ask and keep asking. Be bold, be persistent, press into him. Let him fill you up again. I'm going to have the lights turned out here. I'm just going to, we're just going to close in prayer right now. I cannot tell you how many times through a variety of circumstances my heart has gotten discouraged. And I chose to sit on the shelf. I chose to sit on the sidelines rather than out on the floor playing the game, working hard, trying to score points, if you will. I chose to sit on the sidelines. Maybe this morning, that's where you feel you're at. My challenge to you is get off the sidelines. Let God encourage you and fill you with his spirit. Can we pray? Father, You are so good. Your purposes for us are so rich. God, I believe that you want to encourage us this morning, that you want to reignite that fire in some of our hearts this morning. And the truth is, God, that fire has dwindled so low. Would you reignite it, God? As we press into you, fears aside, pride aside, discouragements, they are what they are. My God is for me. I set that aside. I want you, Jesus. I want more of your spirit. If the spirit of God is pulling at your heart this morning and you're wanting prayer, we want to pray for you. I'm going to encourage you right now. Just, just wait on the Lord right now. Just wait on him.